Amen, guys. I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn with me for our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We will be in the Gospel of John, and we're going to look together at John chapter 4, and we'll read together verses 19 through 26. John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. This is God's holy word for us today. Jesus says, speaking to the famous woman at the well in Samaria, and we pick up the, in, the dialogue here in verse 19. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. This is God's holy word for us this morning. Let's ask Him to bless our time in His word. Father, we ask that You would indeed bless not only the reading, but now especially the preaching of Your word. May the opening up and unfolding of Your word reveal to us Your truth and give us Your light. Write Your truth upon our hearts, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A frequent problem that plagues numerous Christians is often feeling far from God despite sincerely believing in God. I have talked to many followers of Jesus who have felt this way, and I have passed through such seasons in my own life. Sometimes we feel this way because we have turned aside from the path of obedience, embracing some pattern of sinning. And Isaiah says, our sins separate us from God. Other times we may feel this way because we have grown negligent in spiritual habits and disciplines, forsaking prayer, Bible reading, and church attendance, where the means of grace are available to us in the fellowship of your church family. Yet how many countless Christians who have not wandered off into some known sin nor have become negligent in Christian practice nevertheless feel distant from God. I fear that many of us 
know this struggle more than we care to admit to one another. I suspect that just like I have experienced in my life many times, many of us struggle with feeling distant from God despite believing in Him and trying to live faithfully for Him. When we feel distant from God, it easily leads to a sense of gnawing emptiness from day to day. It's like the growling of an empty stomach when nothing in the kitchen sounds appealing. And so we look outside for some sustenance. Perhaps we come to church to feel close to God, but we, how often, treat church like a drive through a place to pick up some spiritual fast food on the weekend, and then we languish the rest of the week. We come to church hoping for a spiritual feast because all we know between the Sundays is spiritual famine. And we think to ourselves, where is God in my life? Why do I feel so down and distant from Him most of the time? I believe in God. I try to live for God, but He isn't a vivid, abiding reality in my daily experience. Maybe I once felt close to Him, but not anymore. Why? In our passage this morning... Through his interaction with this woman at Jacob's well in Samaria, Jesus teaches us the remedy to this common spiritual problem that so many of us face. As it turns out, we often feel distant and empty because we have a worship problem. This Samaritan woman asks Jesus a question about the proper way to worship God And her question assumes that worship is primarily a matter of external locations and rituals and observances. In his answer, however, Jesus rejects that assumption that worship is primarily based on external specifics. Rather, Jesus redefines worship as a daily experience of communion with God an experience that takes place within the human spirit. And by so redefining worship, Jesus brings the distant God down into the empty Christian's daily life so that each of us can experience real, vivid, vital communion with God and feel the nearness of His presence. This is the relationship with God that Jesus enjoyed, and it flowed from his personal approach to worship. That is what he wanted to share with this woman at the well. She came in search of earthly water to quench a parched tongue, but he came to give the water of life that quenches a thirsty soul forever. Just look what he says to her in verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. 
But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And her response is, Sir, give me this water (laughs) so I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That's what she was really looking for. And that's what Jesus says is on offer. Is this not the kind of relationship with God that you desire? To know God as an abiding spring of eternal life welling up in you and in your soul. A constant source of abundance that you can draw from and enjoy in your everyday life. God no longer distant, your soul no longer empty. That is the kind of experience the master had with his father. And it's the kind of experience he wanted to share with this Samaritan woman. And it is the same experience he desires to share with you today. He wants you to know this God that he calls Father. And he wants you to know him as well as he did. And to achieve that, Jesus had to redefine worship as a daily experience. The first way that Jesus redefines worship as a daily experience is by enlarging our center of worship. Too often, just like the Samaritan woman, we mistakenly think that worship is essentially about externals. But Jesus challenges this mistake in our passage. Look in verse 19 and following. The woman said, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And she says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain a mountain in Samaria. But you say, you the Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus says, woman, ma'am, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father And then he says in verse 23, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Now, why would she ask Jesus if worship is supposed to be on a mountain in Samaria or on Mount Zion in Jerusalem? The reason is because Samaria had its own temple for the worship of God. And of course, the official temple was in Jerusalem. What she really wants to know from Jesus is, which holy site, which temple, which priesthood, which sacrifices, which ritual sacrifices and offerings are the real worship God is looking for? Sir, you are a prophet. Tell me. In her mind, these external specifics are the center of worship. 
But Jesus' answer to her is none of the above. Instead, Jesus enlarges the center of worship. Jesus changes the place of worship from the external to the internal. Jesus relocates the place of worship from a physical building in a geographic location to the human mind and the human spirit. Literally, not in Jerusalem, but in spirit and in truth. That's the place of worship. Your mind and your heart are the true location of worship. This is an enormous enlargement. We might think, you know, a temple as big as Herod's temple, it was the grandest temple of all of antiquity. We might think that a temple like that or a whole city as big as Jerusalem That is vastly larger than the puny old human soul. But that's completely wrong. Only so many people can fit in the temple or in Jerusalem. But every human being on earth has access to the realm of his own spirit and the thoughts of his own mind. And since the soul is the location of worship, no physical location could ever limit your worship. Anywhere on earth, Christian, wherever the human spirit is found, true worship can take place. In addition to the place of worship, Jesus also changes the practice of worship. From the external to the internal. Jesus relocates the practice of worship from physical ceremonies to spiritual exercises. In the second half of verse 24, Jesus says, Those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. If the temple in Jerusalem is not the center of worship... That means the animal sacrifices that take place there and the priests who offer them are not the center of worship either. The practice of worship is about what you do with your heart and with your head. Worship takes place in all the different affections towards God in the heart and all the different contemplations of God in the mind. Feeling deeply and thinking truly about God is the center of worship. The offerings of the Spirit are the sacrifices that please God. David says in Psalm 51, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. 
or Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Spirit and truth is the approach to worshiping God. That's the center of worship. And it is much larger than any temple or any city. This is how Jesus enlarges the center of worship. Worship is not centered in coming to the right place and doing the right things in the right way with the right people. But that's how we treat worship. Come to Forks Building, sit in proper pew, do proper things with right people, worship has happened, go home. Right? But that's not the center of worship. Now listen, of course, public worship on Sunday is central to what we exist to do as a church. But public worship on Sunday should not be the center of your personal worship life as a Christian. I used to work with a youth pastor named Jason. And Jason was preaching a sermon one time. And I'll never forget what he said. And part of the reason I won't forget it is because I put it on Facebook. And Facebook memories recently reminded me. He said to that congregation, if the church building and all of its activities vanished overnight, how much Christianity would your life have left? That's powerful. The question is, where is the center of your worship, of your personal worship? Is it centered in these external things Or is it centered in spirit and in truth? Listen to Jesus and enlarge your center of worship. It is not about externals. It is about what you do in your mind and in your heart each and every day, wherever you are. That is the center of worship as a daily experience. The second way that Jesus redefines worship as a daily experience is by enlarging not only our center of worship, but enlarging our conception of human beings. As soon as Jesus relocates the center of worship from the magnificent temple in Jerusalem to the lowly human spirit, we ought to be struck with how audacious this must have sounded to that woman at the well. The common view of Jesus' day was that God's living presence dwelt in the inner sanctuary of the temple, Jerusalem's temple. And Jesus himself in Matthew says that he believed this. However, Jesus teaches us here that God's true dwelling place, the real holy of holies, is the human soul. How ridiculous (laughs) that must have sounded to her 
that day. And perhaps it strikes us the same way. Are you kidding me? How? How could the God big enough, great enough to make this unending universe? How could he possibly inhabit a human heart? Surely we're too small, we're too low, we're too measly and minuscule to be an adequate abode for the almighty maker of heaven and earth. For all our talk about human rights and the value of each person, our world in general has a pretty low view of humanity. You know, that's not how Emily Dickinson saw things. That 19th century American poet, she had enough imagination to see things differently. In one of my favorite poems of hers, she describes not how small but how exceedingly vast and large human beings really are. Listen to what she says. She says, The brain, the brain is wider than the sky. For put them side by side, the one the other will contain with ease and you beside. The brain is deeper than the sea. For hold them blue to blue, the one the other will absorb as sponges buckets do. The brain is just the weight of God. For heft them pound for pound, and they will differ if they do as syllable from sound. Dickinson says, Our minds are so wide they can comprehend the heavens. So deep, they can encompass the seas. How? Because the mind is able to contain the heavens and the earth in its knowledge. The brain contains the sky and the seas by knowing them. We can hold the whole world in the palm of a thought. Yes, we are within the world, but the world is also within us through knowledge and experience of the human spirit. And Dickinson says it's the same with God. Human beings are large enough to contain God. Now, obviously, we cannot fathom in all of eternity all there is to know about God but we can contain him. You and I might laugh at the thought, but Jesus asserts it with a straight face. Not in Jerusalem, but in the Spirit. And in our New Testament reading, in John 14 this morning, Jesus said this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. He dwells with you and will be in you. And then if that weren't enough, he says in verse 23 of John 14, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. And check this out. 
we will come to him and make our home with him. Imagine it. The Holy Spirit, the living presence of God, will dwell within us. The Father and the Son will likewise take up residence inside of us. God's true home is within each one of his people. Jesus understood that if we are going to have an enlarged center of worship, which is the human soul, we must also have an enlarged conception of what a human being really is. You see, God built the human soul large enough to be his abode. Paul says to the Corinthians that you and I are temples of the living God. A human being is a sacred place, a holy temple, an image of God. As Walt Whitman sung of himself, you are large, you contain multitudes. A human being is the most massive object in God's creation full of value and meaning, with untold possibilities and the capacity to hold God in their head and their heart. That, this is why we have such things as Sanctity of Life Sunday. Because we have caught the master's vision of the immeasurable value of every person as a vessel of eternal worth. When we abuse or mistreat another person, we trample on holy ground. You must enlarge your vision of what you are. You are the dwelling place of God. This is key to redefining worship as a daily experience of communion with God. Your own spirit is the place where God lives and the place where he will meet with you personally. Christian, you are much better off than Moses who had to wait for God to appear to him. But for you... The burning bush where God speaks with us is in the heart aflame with faith and the mind alight with truth. In addition to enlarging our center of worship and our conception of human beings, third and finally this morning... Jesus redefines worship as a daily experience by enlarging our contact with God. If our enlarged center of worship is the human soul, then we need an enlarged conception of human beings as adequate to fulfill that purpose. Human beings must be temples of God. But now we also need a new vision of God that is adequate for him to dwell in such temples as these. In other words, God must be the kind of being that is capable of residing in a human spirit. Our common views of God 
are part of the explanation for why we feel distant from God and we feel emptiness in our lives. We automatically think of God as a far-off deity beyond our boundless universe, unimaginably transcendent and thus out of our reach. We unwittingly cling to old mental pictures of God that naturally make Him feel inaccessible. God is way up there, and I am way down here. If that is our picture of God, things like prayer can easily begin to feel like trying to get an audience with the King of England a monarch on the far side of the sea, a vast distance between us who takes no notice of the likes of me. What we need is a completely different vision of God. Jesus gives us this expanded vision of God, and with it He enlarges our contact with God, which is what we so crave. Look at verses 23 and 24 in our text. Jesus says, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And then He says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Here Jesus tells us what God is really like. God is spirit. And that means God must be found in spiritual habitations. God is not physical. He is not to be looked for just beyond the eye of the telescope. God is accessible to you in the spiritual dimension of reality. Not everything is physical. Life has a spiritual side that's just as actual, just as factual, just as real. And that's where God is to be found. You find Him when you look for Him in the right place. You find Him in the multitude of spiritual aspects, qualities, and experiences of life. God is spirit, and you are in contact with God, whether you realize it or not, whenever and wherever in your life you experience the fruit of the Spirit, both in yourself and from other people and in the environment around you. Love shared between family, joy, in the company of close friends, or in the beauty of nature. Peace in the face of trials. Patience in the midst of adversity. Kindness to a stranger. Goodness when pressured to do wrong. Faithfulness when bombarded with temptation. Gentleness with the struggles of others. Self-control when you feel like giving in, when giving in is the easy way out. 
That's where God can be found. Whatever ennobles, elevates, and enriches life, your life, with meaning and value and significance and excellence and virtue, that is spiritual. And that is where you are in contact with God every day. This includes the most ordinary, mundane, routine aspects of your daily life, which is where you want to experience God. Spiritual isn't just the so-called religious stuff that you do from time to time. And everything else is just secular or non-spiritual. No. Spiritual is anything and everything in your life that involves and engages your spirit. Anything and everything in your life that involves and engages your spirit is spiritual. Paul says in Philippians 4, 8 and 9, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says, practice these things. And here's his promise. And the God of peace will be with you. Think on these things in life. Imitate them and give yourself to these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, there, right there, is the secret code to unlock God's presence. If God is spirit, and if he dwells in your spirit, and in the spiritual dimension of real life, then God is the nearest and innermost reality you experience whenever your spirit is enriched. God is not in a galaxy far, far away. He is not distant. He is deep. God is submerged and suffused in every glorious fact and facet of His creation. And when your spirit is engaged with the spiritual dimensions of life, God is there reaching out to you. Jesus not only tells us that this is what God is like, He also tells us that here is what God wants. The Father is seeking such people to be His worshipers. The Father is seeking. He is looking. You are not the only one who is looking for more of God. God is looking for more of you. He is seeking you out, searching for any crack or crevice He can find to enter into the temple where He belongs and where He wants to be. For worship to be a daily experience, you need to enlarge your contact with God. The ordinary things of life are just as spiritual as the religious things of life. The mundane, 
can become sacred moments of communion with God when you understand that God is spirit and in spirit he will be found. This is how Jesus redefines worship as a daily experience of communion with God. He enlarges our center of worship, our conception of human beings, and our contact with God. Let us catch the Master's vision and worship God as He seeks to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. When you go home and live this next week, look, look for God in the spiritual dimensions of everyday life. This will bridge that awful gap that is felt between you and God. You will discover, as one old preacher put it, that God surrounds your spirit the way air surrounds your body. You don't have to go looking for oxygen. You just need to breathe. And you don't have to look far from God. You just need to stop holding your spiritual breath and breathe Him in where He's all around. The mundane can become the sacred. The ordinary can become the holy. The emptiness can be filled. The distance can be bridged. He will become to you a felt presence. Not just, oh yeah, He's with me theologically in my head, check. But a felt presence with you in your life. And the very taste and texture of your life will take on a whole new vitality. And you will find God, as Jesus said, to be the spring of living water welling up inside with abundant eternal life, filling that gnawing emptiness with His satisfying presence. Let's pray. Father, help us to stop holding our breath and to breathe deeply where you can be found. To breathe you in. Help us to enlarge our understanding of worship and to not think it's based in all these so-called religious external things that we do. But help us to look for you where you may be found. And let your promise be fulfilled that everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. We open our door, Lord, and we invite you in. Be with us, we pray, in every aspect of our lives. And let us know sweet, real, felt communion with your living presence in our day-to-day -day lives so that we can be satisfied in you and walk with you through life no matter what comes our way. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.